You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Transform the way you hunt with the all-new base cellular trail camera connected by the Moultrie Mobile app. Moultrie Mobile's industry-best app gives you complete control over your camera settings, up-to-the-minute updates from the field, and other interactive scouting tools on your smartphone or computer. Features like weather forecast, advanced species recognition, interactive maps, and a whole lot more. For more information and to make your purchase, visit www.moultriemobile.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Welcome to the Antler Up Podcast, brought to you by Tethered Nation. What's up, everybody? We're back. We got a new episode for you, episode 157 with Cam Durr from the Exodus Outdoor Gear and also from the Deer Gear Podcast. So this week, though, what a fun one. Like I said, Cam comes on, and for this episode, he talks about his expectations versus reality when it, come, when it comes to this past hunting season with some amazing storytelling. We had Cam talk about uh, I want to talk about in the spring, I think we had him on. And he, man, you heard the high hopes he had for pulling an Iowa tag and filling his North uh, Dakota tag for the second year for this year. Well, as it turns out, Cam pulled that Iowa tag, filled it, and filled his North Dakota tag as well on the biggest deer to date in velvet. So hear how even success brings challenges and how persevering leads to his success during these two hunts. And from struggling with shooting his bow, Cam was able to gain the confidence back and get the job done. For the North Dakota hunt, Cam shared what he needs to see uh, from the field in order to go after a specific deer and how that kind of totally changes when he goes to Iowa. And for just shy of two weeks, Cam's Iowa story had me in total awe. 
just being honest. It is something that I believe every whitetail hunter dreams about one day when they have the chance to hunt Iowa. And from this story, it did not disappoint. So Cam wanted a specific experience and Cam got it. And also to wrap up this episode, uh, Cam shared with us about what Exodus Outdoor Gear will be doing at the Great American Outdoor Show in two weeks. They'll have their new uh, rival cell camera there, as well as what Cam will be doing himself with some arrows. So definitely check them out. Thanks, Cam, for coming on, man. Really appreciate it. The Pennsylvania chapter of the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers is going to be at the Great American Outdoor Show at booth 4707 in the Outfitter Hall. This is going to be a great chance for you to get a, get to meet these people that go out and advocate for public hunting and fishing lands here in Pennsylvania. Some really awesome people that I've had the chance to get to know over the last couple years. So if you're there, these ideals resonate with you. Join them there at the outdoor show. Uh, they talk about the fight for Sunday hunting as well as some advocating projects, again, to help us. Uh, for our public land hunting and fishing lands here in Pennsylvania. So, and also on Friday, February 10th, they're going to be at the Appalachian Brewing Company after the outdoor show for their annual backyard bash with special guest BHA president and CEO Lantani. So to find more about what they have going on or to RSVP for some of these events, check out their Facebook, their Instagram, as well as www.backcountryhunters.com dot org backslash pennsylvania also going on right now go wild is doing a huge partnership with mountain tough a free membership going on for 30 days they're doing the go wild challenge to get ready for turkey hunting so go sign up on go wild some really great things and also too right now they're giving away a utv which is killer it's so awesome it's really cool looking so definitely check that out as well because you're going to be able to win a friggin utv and all it's from now i think till march 31st so main thing is through march 31st every member uh it gets a chance to entry to win it's a polaris utv uh if you're on go wild already okay all you have to do is share the app uh, within your rewards link, go to your profile and hit share go wild for your unique share link for every new member you get to join go wild. You get an additional entry for a chance to win. And if you're not a go wild member yet to enter for a chance to win this Polaris, create a free wild go wild account, automatically get an entry for a chance uh, to win this uh, UTV, continue to get more entries in the giveaway by sharing the app. Just like I just mentioned before, hit share go wild for your unique share link for every new member you get to join go wild. You'll get an additional entry for that. So for more details, go to time to go wild.com backslash UTV. Tethered is a team of saddle hunting fanatics with a passionate addiction to whitetail hunting. Designing and engineering products to be a more efficient and confident hunter, Tethered produces the most mobile, stealthy, and safest elevated hunting gear on the planet. Built by saddle hunters for the saddle hunter. Head over to tethernation.com to see for yourself what exactly I'm talking about. Awesome. Well, thanks, dude. House, little house being sold, buying a farm, you know, growing big deer now and just going to be slaying. Don't need, who needs Iowa when you got Cam going on uh, Ohio, you know? No, dude, this is not going to be, I had my hopes like set real high for this. <laughs> um, my, 
girlfriend wanted, she always wanted a farm, but she was like, I only want three acres. Like she was like, I don't want any more. It's too much to handle. And we came across the place that had 13 acres. And I was like, I mean, the price is right. Let's just buy this. And then we started walking it and I was like, oh my God, there's scrapes here. There's rubs here. And I was like, I was like, we really, I really want this now because I want to hunt it. And then the, uh, I get a hold of like some of the neighbors and I start talking to him. And the one guy sends me a picture, like 170 inch deer that he shot there last year. And then I, got, I kept talking to him and he's like, yeah, we had, uh, we had 22 people hunt our farm opening day of gun season this year. And every one of them got a deer. And I was like, Oh, um, I'm immediately turned off. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. Well, you yeah, gotta, so, you'll have to get them early with the bow then, I guess, you know? Yeah, I don't think anyone bow hunts, so hopefully there's some deer left. I've had a corn pile there for like six days, mm-hmm. and there hasn't been a single deer on it. No. <laughs> it's crazy how these deer move like now compared to what it was because even, I mean, I shut off a bunch. Of, I only have like one cell cam still like up and running as far as like to still send me photos right now my dad still has his two and i mean he gets a couple photos that he'll send me but nothing crazy and i guess uh actually uh the big nine dimitri that we were after this past year or 10 whatever whatever he ended up being uh he broke his other brow tying off so now he's 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 uh four on one side and big three on his right side and he showed up like on on the same property but just down a little bit on the other side of of the mountain and um but like i have i was not getting any photos like at all of any deer i'm like is there anything left up there like holy heck it's just you know like you you wonder because even my dad's like we you got to come up scout now and i'm like i know just because i haven't had the chance really in the last couple of years to really go now so we're gonna go in as a family within these next like couple weekends, as long as the snow doesn't like pile up on us soon. Yeah. Cool. That'll be good. Yeah. But sweet, man. Well, again, I appreciate you coming on. I know, like you said last week, it was, uh, with the whole selling the house and, you know, showings and all that stuff. I know that's, it could be stressful. So. Yeah. It's been, a, it's been a nightmare. It's been an absolute nightmare. I should close Monday. Okay. And then, uh, that all that other stuff will be behind me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then it's all moving up and onward, you know, well, sweet yep. man. Well, I, uh, there's a couple things I have written down and I know Dimitri will have some questions, but we're just going to kind of go from the, from the hip cam. So welcome back to the podcast, man. It's, it's always good to get a chance to talk shop with you and what a, what a year you had, you had a really cool year. You had, I don't, I mean, I guess you could say it. No, uh, but you did shoot your biggest buck to date this year, right? Yeah, man. Uh, first of all, thanks for thanks for having me back on. Pleasure to sit down with you guys. Yeah, uh, North Dakota went back to the the promised land there and <laughs> shot my biggest buck ever in full velvet. Just an absolute incredible, incredible whitetail. And then, uh, yeah, I hunted the great state of Iowa this year too. So it was it was one for the books. Yeah, that's awesome. I like that. Well, let's kind of dive in it this way, just because I, I want to hear your perspective. So let's kind of rewind all the way back from scouting season to leading up to hunting season. What was your expectations versus your reality? So do you want me to go for both states or? Uh, I guess you could kind of, yeah. I mean, we have all the time in the world, man. So like you could kind of break that down just because, you know, we, we get so amped up. We're so excited. We have these expectations. Like I'm, I've scouted these 
hundreds of areas and this many miles and put out these cameras. I'm getting these photos. I'm not getting these photos. You have this huge expectation and then reality comes and just whacks you upside the head with either good or bad. Right. You know, so, you know, what was, I guess that whole, your 2022 expectation versus reality hunting season. So I did have like really, really high hopes going into the season because going to North Dakota, I had all of the previous year's Intel and I had a lot of success while I was out there and I knew it was going to be really exciting. I knew there was going to be a bunch of deer. However, I did have some like, what is the crop rotation going to do to those deer out there? I only have one year of history. And like I I talked about last year with you guys, like when I was out there, there are no trees, there's no timber. It is all crops. So when a field goes from corn to beans or from beans to corn, or for this year, there was no corn and it went from corn. What was corn last year was wheat this year. And when we got out there, all the wheat was cut. So there was no, there was just no cover at all besides the cattail there. So that threw a gigantic wrench into my plans in North Dakota. And then my expectations were also extremely high because I have a coveted Iowa whitetail tag in my pocket, which I have 10 cell cameras on scrapes that I scouted in March. And yeah, um, expectations headed into the season were like at, at its peak. Like I've never been more excited about a season. And I had so much high expectations about those two out of state trips that I had zero plans for Ohio and Pennsylvania. And that turned out to be bad news. Um, because after I got back, I got back from Iowa November 19th. I haven't been back in the woods since. Because I was just like, well, I don't I don't have anything going on. I don't have cameras hung. And I just was like, well, don't count your eggs before uh, – or don't don't uh, get too greedy here. Like you had a great season. Just start getting back to um, spend time with the family. Make sure your work's done. So, yeah, heading, heading into the year, expectations were at an all-time high. So I know you were running a lot of cameras in Iowa, and I know when you get to North Dakota, you, you use camera intel quite a bit while you're there, but were, was there any pre-scouting or uh, cameras hung prior to the season in North Dakota? No. So North Dakota was all based off of last year's information. And then we always go out there two days before the season opens and cover as much ground as we can, try to learn as much about, uh, like I said, the crop rotation this year and uh, where the, how are the deer using the same areas? Are they using the same areas? So um, we hung cameras on the first full day that we were out there. But prior to that, I didn't look at a map because I was like, I mean, it's, on a map and you look out there like you don't see anything there's nothing you can really scout that hard and um it was basically all just to get out there and see what the heck happens yeah well to before you dive into like specifically about each of those hunts cam going back to even our, our previous discussion with the podcast you know like you said expectations were high but I know you were struggling with some demons like the shot process and making sure you you were well prepared with that. How did that kind of, you know, come out for you? Uh, obviously, you did good with it in the heat of the moment. But, like, where, where did that confidence and, and uh, that type of stuff come into play for you? Well, I'll say I, I never got extremely confident. I never did mm-hmm. until I let the arrow fly at the buck I shot okay. in North Dakota. The hour before I went out to hunt 
and I'm shooting off my knees at 40 yards. I miss the target, completely miss the target an hour before I'm going to hunt. And I'm like, Oh my God, like this deer has to come within 10 yards for me to shoot. Like I was, I was just so distraught. I was like, I'm not even like, I don't, I'm not even going. And I go, I went out there and I had to find somewhere to like position myself. Cause there's no timber and I knew it was going to be a ground hunt. And I'm like, Oh my God, the closest shot I can get is like 30 yards. I don't know how it's going to go. And then a deer comes in and I just like went black out back to the instincts. And I, I mean, the shot pro the shot was so perfect. Like I hit him right where I was aiming. And, um, after that I was like, Oh, I'm good. I'm, yeah. I'm cool. I'm back. Yeah, man. That's awesome. Just because I, I'll tell you what, man, like when I, I will say like, once I knew you killed that buck, I think I was more thrilled just because of getting a chance to, to message you and talk to you and have you on the podcast and meet you in person, a couple, you know, like that type of stuff. But I think I was more happy for you that that hump happened. Do you know what I mean? Just because man, that, that is such a, it is such a hump to get up over. Like, yeah, it, uh, it's, it was, it was very frustrating and it weighed on me a lot. Like I just couldn't, I never could stop thinking about it. And even going into Iowa and I'm, fast forwarding a little bit too far i wounded a buck in iowa i missed three coyotes i missed three coyotes and i wounded a buck in iowa and i was like my shot process has gone i don't know i struggled this year but i'm selling the bow that i was shooting (laughs) last year because i just have like a bad relationship with that thing and i'm starting fresh um i'm gonna go all the way back to the basics and i'm gonna do it way ahead of time now i made a switch way too close to the season last year and i'll never do that again yeah when you say made a switch did you do was it a bow or a release it was the release release now was there anything that like now that the season's over and you did have some success but you also still struggled a little bit is there anything that you kind of feel like you were doing wrong or you know maybe we were kind of thinking of specifically of you know, some things that you need to change or, you know, made some minor improvements throughout the season? What's in my shot process? Yeah. Yeah, I just need to shoot more. I need to, like, especially as season comes around, I kind of, like, stop doing that. And it's really, it's a really bad habit. And even a lot of people that I hunt with, they'll, like, take their bow out and shoot it a couple times before they go out and hunt. I just don't do it. I, I, I don't know why. I don't know. I'm not disciplined enough or whatever it may be. Um, I don't shoot enough once season gets here because all I can think about is, like, where's the deer? What deer am I going to hunt? I'm not thinking about that process. And previously, man, I never struggled with it. I never had, like, it was never even an issue. I never even thought, like, okay, maybe I'm not on today or maybe something's messed up. And now it played so much into my head this year. But after I shot that buck in North Dakota, I thought like, Oh, I'm back. You know, I'm I'm good. I don't have to keep, I don't have to keep practicing. And there was two weeks or three weeks before the time I got um, back from North Dakota and then Ohio season start where I did shoot uh, a little bit more, but I never, I just didn't keep doing it. And in season, like just as important as it is to keep scouting while you're hunting, it's just as important to keep shooting because I mean, you can, and shoot how, like how you're going to dress in Iowa. I was freaking in five degree weather. And there was times where I had to take layers off because I couldn't get my bow back. Like I should have known that prior to getting in the tree. I should have, I should have shot more in season dressed as I'm going to play. Yeah, that's a big thing. I don't think a lot of, you know, you're not alone in that discussion there, Cam. Because, you know, I know for myself personally, that's where I think the adjustment for me was to do a lot of even just close range shooting. 
You know what I mean? I'm I'm not necessarily shooting. I mean, I'm I'm focusing on something, but I'm not putting my pin on something. Is that if that makes sense? And I'm just doing a couple shots like that just to get that process down. Then I would go back, you know, 10, 15 yards in a, you know, the garage and the yard, whatever you have it of what you're, you know, all I'm capable of being able to do. And then I would get that normal shot and be like, okay, I'm good for tomorrow. Cause like you said, I mean, if, if Dimitri and I are running in somewhere after work, we don't have time to throw out a target, shoot three or two arrows and be like, all right, I'm good. I'm going in now. Like I just, I know that could take only three, five minutes, but that's three, five minutes that, uh, you know, of, Hey, well, we only have an hour and 35, 40 minutes to actually hunt. So yeah, it's, it is critical. I, I do think, you know, and the other piece was like you said of shooting with specific gear on because man, you, those colder time frames, it's, it's different. And, I, and again, it goes back to the piece where Dimitri, I know you, you have a really good feeling about this one. Why I think it's important to shoot that draw weight that is, you know, super smooth for you during those moments. Like we could pull back 70, heck, whatever, plus pounds all day in the summer with our t-shirts on and flexing and think we're, we're all cool. But when it's five degrees and it's, you know, 70 pounds and that sucker's hard to pull back. That's a whole different, that's a whole different animal. Yeah. It was something that I was not prepared for. (laughs) Well, and I think a thing that's really helped me in the last couple of years is, uh, you know, shooting a lot more 3d targets. And, you know, I think not a lot of people talk about that. They talk about the process and, you know, uh, whether it's grip or, you know, going through your, your cycle. But, you know, for me is, is actually getting out the 3d ranges or setting up a 3d target in my yard, I think is because if you think about it, look, trying to pick a point on just a basically a square body right and it, which is solid brown like you have the shoulder crease that you're looking at but it's not always just a, a circle or a dot right that you're kind of aiming for which is kind of easily your pin settles into that dot most of the time um and and i felt myself where i struggled with you know a lot of my shots at, at deer and i was kind of rushing through that and not really picking my points of where i wanted to aim for uh even though in the yard of, at those targets with you know your typical uh block targets i was shooting lights out you know yeah. but then the, the real life scenarios really helped me improve on settling that that shot process down on an actual animal uh versus just the regular target like you said I, the one thing too that i focused on with the 3d target side of things is like you said is you know even moving myself in a different angle and be like okay where's that kill zone like i'm not shooting those circles or shooting the center target where that is supposed to be your 10 ring whatever like i'm shooting what's going to actually kill that animal and look at the angle all that stuff that's again that's where it's really important that's why i too like for people that saddle hunt like you just need to get one stick high cuz it's easy to climb up and climb down you don't have to use a climber those that used to do that in the old ways or using 10 sticks up high you could just get one stick high and still be able to get those angles a little bit so you know that's another little you know cool little tip that you could do but awesome camel little derailed your whole little expectation to reality there but you know <laughs> <laughs> what what uh what day did you end up killing on your uh, North Dakota it would have been Sunday, so I think it was September 5th. I okay. want to say it was September 5th. It was the Sunday of the season, which um, would have been, came in on a Friday. Uh, Saturday didn't happen. Sunday, I killed him. 
Nice. So you go, you, like you said, you went out two days prior, you go cover as much ground as you can, you know, glass and all that stuff from the road, driving around. What did that look like for you until you found the deer? Or was that like, Hey, we found a good group of deer and then, Whoa, that sucker came out. How did that process uh, go for you? Well, the first day was like, Oh, it was kind of a shock to us. Okay. Like last year, the strategy was if you find standing corn and you find cattails, there's going to be beans around somewhere, and that's where the deer are going to be bedded. So we're driving around looking for standing corn. There is none, like nowhere. And we're like, okay, so where, where are the deer going to be? You know, like what, what, how do they hide anywhere? So we knew cattails were still, still like where we wanted to focus on, but all of the wheat fields that were surrounding these cattails were already cut. So it's like, okay, what's the primary food? Like the, are they going to travel this far to get to a standing bean field. So we had to kind of figure that out. And um, we hung cameras in areas that we had hunted previously, um, did not get any activity on them. The first night we were driving around, I did spot a really good deer on like a, probably a 140 something inch 10 pointer that was in full velvet all by himself in a bean field. And the bean field was on private ground, but where he came off of was that it's walk on ground. Basically it's private open to sportsmen. And, um, so I was like, okay, I'm going to glass this deer tonight. See if he does that again. I had a really good vantage point. Trey, my buddy that was, um, hunting with me was like, okay, well, I'm just going to keep covering ground. Cause we only know of one deer right now and we got to have more options than that. So I glassed all night. Didn't see that deer again. So that's the night before the opener. Like, I don't know, like time's of the essence here. We have four days. I have to leave Monday and, or Tuesday and we had to leave Tuesday. So he drives around, he finds a buck that I actually had pictures of the year before that was with the deer that I shot Mm. last year. It was pretty cool. I didn't expect to have like, Oh, we have history with this deer or whatever, you know, didn't have any plans, but he showed me, he, he took a picture of it with his DSLR and he showed it to me. I was like, dude, that buck was with the buck that I shot last year. I pulled up trail camera photos for the previous time. And sure enough, there he was. So he was like, well, Cam, you, you need to go after that deer. Um, I found some other ones that I'm going to keep an eye on. So opening night, neither of us hunted. We just went back glassed and tried to like, for me, I have to know what a deer's doing before I'm going to dive in in that type of scenario, especially cause I can't just get up in a tree and maybe a deer is going to walk by me or something. I, so I took a vantage point that it back off in the field, watched over where he took that picture of that buck. I didn't see that deer again. I didn't see any deer that night, but he found a bachelor group that, um, had like six or seven different bucks in it. And it was in an area that he was just driving by and it was getting really dark. The, there was like a lake, all the lakes, public ground, but everything, all the, uh, ag fields are private. And we look up like the landowner's name and, uh, the ground was not posted, so in, in North Dakota, that's kind of free game. But they own, like, did I want to say, like, 18,000 acres oh. on different parcels. Like, it was like this family that just owned everything. So we were like, you know what? Instead of just going with the non-posted, we're like, let's go talk to them, and we'll see. Maybe they ha- maybe they know something, you know? Maybe they know, okay, well, we have this deer over this way, or maybe they hunt, and we don't want to step on their toes. So we went and talked to them, and they were like, 
just like the same stories last year, like do whatever you want, go ahead, have <laughs> have at it. So the next day would have been the second day of the season. We went in and hung a camera and the, the way the property laid out, man, it was just like the deer only had one access to this bean field because everything else was cliffed off. And in this area, it was really kind of unique because there was no terrain. There's like, you don't have hills. Everything's just super flat. But in this area that just dropped off into this lake and all along the hillside was just like brushy, um, just thick bedding. And then at the bottom was all cattails. And then it went into this lake. And at the top of it was standing corn. And then on the edge of the standing corn was beans. So we're like, this is it. You know, like yep. this is the spot. And um, he found a deer using what had been the north side of the cornfield. And then I was hunting the group that he found on the south side of the cornfield. So we were both on the same property going after a couple different deer. And we hung that camera. It would have been Saturday morning, Saturday night. Um, we didn't hunt again because we, we didn't have anything. He hunted. I didn't hunt. Um, we didn't have anything quite nailed down. He was like, I'm going for it. So he hunted, got pretty close. Anyway, Sunday morning, I get a picture of a like a hammer on that camera. I'm like, okay, that's, that's the target for tonight. He had an encounter with a buck the, that previous night so he's going back after him so the way this kind of laid out was there was standing corn on the north okay there was a transition of like a buffer strip of it would have been like sagebrush and then it was a standing green bean field and then to the west of that there was that draw it was like a draw and on both sides of the draw was just cliffed out so these deer were coming up this draw entering into the bean field and they would walk through the corn and just kind of make a big loop because the road was to the south so they couldn't go to the south so i need i had a south wind so as i was walking in the wind's kind of at my back but it was blowing into the standing corn and i was blowing kind of like in the middle of the standing corn because i didn't expect anything to be there if they were going to be in there i thought maybe they'd be on an edge or something so i got positioned where I was in that buffer strip of sagebrush. It was between the beans and the corn. And I just took like a T post with me and stuck it in the ground. And I zip tied some of that sagebrush out in front of me to kind of break me up a little bit more and give me something to kind of hide behind. And I was like 20 yards to the north of that uh, draw. Okay. So they have a south wind. They're walking from the west to the east, kind of quartering into the bean field because they're kind of at a disadvantage because they're down along that hillside and they're coming up and the beans are above them. So they only have the wind as their advantage. So they don't have a visual there. And the way I was kind of positioned, I would be below them when they got up into the bean field. And so where they came up in, I had to make like a really quick decision if anything came. And um, I was sitting there for like hours because i had i was like i gotta get in here when the wind's strong and it's carry my thermals are getting brought up over top of this draw i didn't want my thermals to drop down into that draw because i knew when it kind of got a little bit cooler that the thermals would work their way down there and um it was i think it got dark out there like nine o'clock or something and it was 7 30 and a couple does come walking from the east to the west like behind me they're working the transition between the 
uh, beans in the corn. And this doe comes, walks like five yards out in front of me, and she beds down. This doe comes and works her way in front of me, and she comes and she beds down on the edge there, like 10 yards in front of me, but it's like below me. Okay. And she, she laid there from like 740, 730, 740, all the way until the sun starts to come down and my thermals start dropping right down to her. And I can feel it, man. I can feel like, I was like, the thermals are switching. I know she's down there, but I can't see her because the brush is like over my head and she's down over this little, just this little hillside. And then I hear, like she's, she's stomping her foot. I'm like, oh my God, she's going to blow this whole thing. It's like 20 minutes before like it's prime time, you know, Yep. she caught me, she got my thermals, um, and she bounded off. She blew going down. She went down that draw that these bucks were going to come up and she's blowing off. And I'm like, Oh my God, you know, like it's over. It's over. <laughs> so I literally lay on my back and I'm like, Oh my God, like what, what are the chances? So there's like 20 minutes or so left and I sit back up and not even five minutes later, buck comes, walking up that draw and he's a toad i'm like oh my god but he's uh clean no velvet you know just big eight point frame and i'm like oh my god like i'm gonna shoot that deer and i always say that out loud to myself (laughs) i'm gonna shoot that deer and like 20 seconds behind him another buck comes in freaking giant like oh i'm like oh my god another buck comes in behind him and i'm like wait Maybe I should shoot that one. And so I have four bucks eventually come out uh, up this draw, and they're feeding out in the beans like 30 yards in front of me. And I'm, like, forced with this decision, like, which one do I shoot? Like, any one of them are coming home with me, but which one is it? And I was like, well, I'm out here. It's September. I want a velvet deer. So the big eight point got the pass. Well, the big eight point is, like, kind of facing towards me, and the buck – excuse me, the buck that I wanted to shoot was like kind of facing away from me and the big eight point like hit the buck that I was um, kind of targeting. And when he hit him, I went to draw back and that big eight point did one of these, like, what was that? You know, like he saw something moving and I was like, Oh my God. So I, I, I drew back and then the buck that I wanted was hard, hardcore quartered away from me, but he just kind of turned his body enough to look back towards me. And I just put it right in the crease on him. And it was like 30, I want to say like 34 yards or something. And I, I watched the arrow hit exactly where I wanted it to hit. And um, he ran off on top of like one of the bluffs. And then I saw like what I thought was the death run, right? Like, and he just bull rushed down that, um, down that bluff. And one of my biggest flaws, and I don't know if I'll ever get over it or when it will happen in my life, but I cannot stand to sit and wait before I go look for blood (laughs) for my arrow. I can't not stand it. So there's um, cell camera pictures where they entered up into the draw that they were there. I shot them. And then like seven minutes after I shot, I went, which is way too soon. And, um, then three minutes after I was on camera, that big eight point was back, heading back down that draw. So he ran up off into the bean field and then came back down on that draw. And um, long story short, that deer was single lung hit. And I, when I got up too soon to go check my blood, I, I must have pushed him 
and he went for like, I want to say three quarters of a mile and he followed this fence line and he went down this big hill up this like other bluff side. And I was like, there's no way he's, he's dead. If he's going up that hill, you know, and I was I'm pouting and my buddy Trey's on his hands and knees looking for blood, finds blood. And we follow it down this fence line all the way to where the fence turns and right where the fence turned, he laid down. He couldn't get over the fence. He was hurt enough, and and he died there. And then the, to cap it off, man, North Dakota, uh, September, and we're out there. We turn our flashlights off, northern lights. So look up, and then I have the biggest buck of my life, full velvet, and then underneath the northern lights. So it was, it was very special. Ooh, man. Congrats, man. That is just hell of a story. I'm sitting here. I got like, I don't know if you saw me at one point. I got, I got like the goosebumps. So it was just telling the, telling that just because again, man, that is just, I don't know. Like you said, that reality of your expectations going into reality. And that was a huge reality and having that story, man, I only had until Tuesday and I'm, and I'm sitting there like, okay, yeah, you go out those two days prior, you're scouting. And then, I mean, you're only hunt. Like, are you and Trey, like, do you guys come up with the idea, like, man, like, our only really good chance is that the those evenings, like, is there? Yeah, a, you, there's no morning hunts. No, well, the mornings we just scout. We drive around um, glass fields, but it's mainly just scouting. And then there's two different kind of strategies you can take there. If you watch, like, say the hunting public, for instance, they'll go out in the morning and scout and watch where a buck beds down, and they will go sit on him all day. Where um, that's a great strategy and it obviously works for them but it's september and you have no shade cover and i just we ought we have an opt to do that and i think next year i might just because it seems like it's fun um when they stand up <laughs> and you're like 30 yards away from them like that seems like a, a, an experience yeah, i want to have the season opens on friday we get we leave tuesday um so you have four nights you have four hunts well, and I think too, you know, you hear a lot of stories of people out of state hunting, the, the more successful people aren't hunting the entire time. And we hear that story after story. And, you know, for you, you easily could have just, you know, hunted where you typically would. And even though you weren't seeing deer, right. And then, and just because you felt like you had the history, but you only had a couple of days, you could have fell into that trap of, you know, I'm not seeing anything, but I got to hurry up and, you know, try to harvest something or, you know, be out there. Right. And, you know, sometimes it is just driving around and, you know, scouting or even knocking on a door. You know, I, even when I was in Ohio and, and when we were out scouting that one day, we even had that thought of driving some through going from one public to the other. We saw a lot of private pieces are like, man, these are really nice. We'd love to hunt this property. And, you know, we even had that kind of mindset of maybe knocking on a door or two or trying to find, and, you know, we were fortunate enough that we had some access through our uh, campground, the guy that owned the campground, giving us access to, to going to a public piece, which we were successful in that, that hunt as well. So, you know, I think, you know, if you're going to do an out-of-state hunt, what I've learned personally and hearing people is, you know, take your time and make sure it's the the right hunt when you're first diving in there. Yeah, you can you can get out there and get your head spinning real quick if you waste two hunts and you don't have anything going on. Then you start making bad decisions because now you don't have any intel because you've been stuck in one spot and nothing's happening there. Your buddy's out hunting. He's stuck in one spot. Nothing's happening there. So you don't know anything else other than where you're at, and it's not happening. So now you have two days left, and you got to figure that out. 
So what do you do the next day? Do you hunt again and wish, or do you go scout and try to find something? Okay. Now, if you don't find something, then you're down to the last day. What do you do then? So on the front end of the trip, I always, I have to know what a deer is doing. And for me in the early season like that in September, it's not enough to see him do it one time. It's it, if the wind is different the next day, like it's too, he's not going to do the same thing most likely. So I need to know what is his primary bedding in that time frame, And then where's his primary food? And then based off the wind, how's he going to access that? Where's he going to access it from? And then you make your plan from there. But I have to know that he is wanting to go to a certain area because there was a deer that we found on the second night that, uh, Actually, it's all coming back to me now. I made a, I had a failed stock on a deer from a glass a glassing point. I, I was like, oh my god, I'm gonna try to go glass this deer, and um, I bumped him. I got within 60 yards and bumped him. But when I got back to my glassing knob, there was a 170 inch typical, like 300 yards away from where that deer was. And I went back and I kind of got a little bit fixated on him because he was so big. But I racked my mind and like. If I would have went in the next day and tried to hunt him, I would have had no idea where he wanted to go because when I when when I saw him, he was already in the primary food. So where did he come from? In an area like that, like it's so vast, he could have been bedded in those beans and just stood up. And then there's no way to get close to him or and most likely he was bedded on the cattails. But where in the cattails? So where do you access from? So for me, I have to have like a for sure, this is where he wants to bed. This is where he wants to eat. And then based off the wind, how is he going to get there? Yeah. Now, does that change for you when it gets to later in the year, like your Iowa hunt? Does any of that kind of change as far as your, your tactic is of going in there out of state or hell, even in your home states? Yeah. So as the, as the season kind of goes on and in Ohio where I'm at, I, I don't have the opportunity to glass like that. Yeah. So I, it's really not in the game plan. Um, in Iowa, I thought it was going to be more of the game plan, but when I got out there, I couldn't see what I thought I would be able to see. And then it was also the peak of the rut. So I, when a deer is in an area, like he's not probably going to be there tomorrow. And especially I was hunting a big river bottom and they're just cruising, you know? So for me, it was more about finding the right spot in Iowa rather than the right deer. And then kind of buying my time. First velvet buck, you know, just as a quick tip, maybe for someone that next year that's listening to this podcast, what did you do? Uh, if anything to preserve that, that velvet, I had to leave it out there. Um, there was a, a taxidermist that I'd found last year because we were thinking like, okay, if we shoot one in velvet, what do we do? So we got a hold of a local taxidermist and he was like, well, just bring them here. We'll cape them out for you. You have to remove the brain matter before you can transfer them uh, across state lines anyway. So he did all that for us. And then he actually kept the rack out there. And um, once the freeze drying process is finished, which it should be, pretty soon he's going to ship the antlers back to me and I'll have my taxidermist here take care of it. But I did a podcast with the guys from uh, born again, bow hunting. Mm -hmm. And there was actually a product that they recommended. And it's like some velvet spray that they used and they had some success with it. So I'm going to take that with me next year uh, just in case, but um, it was 
pretty easy. Just take it to a taxidermist and have that in your back pocket ready though. Cause when you shoot one and you're like, okay, well now what do we do? Cause that velvet is so fragile, man. I damaged mine like way too much. Yeah. It's especially that time of year, like it's ready to come off any day. So it was, it was very fragile. That's good because I'm Dimitri. I didn't Tim bring something out with us when we went out to Utah, I think. Yeah, he had some sort of spray too, but you know, I, I've heard of some taxidermists can also do like an artificial uh, velvet to the deer as well. I think. Yeah, that's awesome, man, dude! I can't wait to see it. <laughs> like, oh, like, me too. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, but you know, the pictures, you know, like with something like that, just does not do it justice. Basically, you know, I just unbelievable, cool story. Yeah. He- he was way bigger than I thought he was, man. I thought he was a 140-inch buck, which is a freaking tank. But he was way bigger than I thought he was. And that put it in perspective how big the deer that was out of velvet was because he was bigger than him. Oh, man, that's awesome. Heck, yeah, dude. Fired up for you on that one. That Now, like you said, now next year you plan on doing it. So North Dakota is a yearly thing for you until something else tickles your fantasy, basically? I think I'm going to give it one more year and then um, – Cause that's I two just, for two, right? Yeah. 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 And I don't want to press, I don't want to press my luck too much. Like I should probably just quit while the going's good. Yeah. But, um, that place is just really special and I can hunt the way that I want to hunt. And that's what keeps drawing me back to it. I can hunt the way that I love to hunt, but I'm the kind of guy that likes to move around. I like to experience new things. So, um, I can see after next year, it's going to, um, the lust or whatever is going to wear off and I'm going to want a new experience. So yeah. uh, it's a special place. Trey's like, I'm going back until I don't, until there's no deer left. Like he's <laughs> in love with it. Um, but I just, I want to go to Wyoming. I want to go to Kentucky. I want to hunt early season. Always. I want to hunt early season whitetails cause it's a blast, but I want to hunt new areas. Yeah. What was the weather like? Was it hot? Was it just kind of your typical? Like what? Because you always hear, like as you said, Kentucky, and I just know some other people that I know that have done that early season Kentucky just say how absolutely miserable that really is at times. It wasn't too bad, and and two for two there too. Like the weather, it was warm, but it was like fifties at night. Oh yeah, so it cools off really, really nice um, when the sun goes down. Like it, you can just feel the thermals just. Drop and you're so far north there that it gets it gets pretty cold that um in the evenings but the probably 80s during the day and then it gets into the 50s at night so it, it, there's a big temp swing yeah yeah I like it man well sweet I appreciate you sharing that North Dakota and then you know the Iowa thing this was something that you know we we're kind of talking about because you know I'm going on year four for points this this upcoming you know spring when that's going to go into effect so i'm not going to try to pull it this year i think next year i'm pretty dead red set on kansas uh is a hunt that hopefully i mean i already have two points i hope i could pull that friggin' thing fingers crossed that i could do kansas next year and then hopefully either another year or two will be iowa but man iowa was you know that's the mecca for us whitetail guys that you know live breathe sleep talk everything whitetails on the brain i was that the mecca of mecca what when you knew that that sucker you pulled it when does that just totally consume you and just take over man it it consumed me before i even knew that i got it it was like (laughs) even if i don't get it like i just 
can't wait to get there. Yep. So that's all I thought about, man. I, I drew that. It was July, I found out. And like I said, it, I didn't hang a camera in Ohio because I was like, I'm just going to hunt Iowa. And when the weather's good, I'm going to Iowa. So all of my eggs were kind of in that basket. And I mean, for good reason, right? Yeah. It's like, like you said, it's, it is the Mecca and you wait so long to get there that if you don't have all of your efforts there, like you're selling yourself short because like most of the time you're out there on borrowed time and you have limited time and you have to get it done while you're out there. And on all these out of state trips, dude, the pressure sinks in, even if you don't want it to. And you get into a scenario where you're like, like I said before, you start making bad decisions because you didn't prepare enough. And now you're like, okay, well, I got four days left or whatever, how much, how many days left on a one week hunt, two days go by, like you're, you're a third of the way through. You let another day go by, two more days go by, you're halfway done. Yep. So it's, it's critical to have your game face on all year leading into those hunts. So Iowa, you draw that tag July, you put out, like you said, 10 plus cameras. You, you go, I've no, how many times did you go out scouting before the season? I went out in March, and then I went out in August. Okay, so March and August, you're getting uh, the game plan kind of going. Now, when we talked earlier, when we said expectations uh, versus reality, what was your expectations slash goals to that reality of Iowa? So expectations were high, obviously. It's Iowa. Um, Goals were to have an experience that I wanted to have strictly on the style of hunting. Like I want to go out there. I want to be super aggressive. I want to rattle. I want to like rut hunt. I've like, I want to have that experience. Right. And I want to do it from the ground and I want to spot and stalk and I want to get in the mess. And then when I got out there, reality hit me straight in the face and it's not like it, it wasn't it was possible, but there was better ways to um, spend your time in the area that I was in because you would get into Uh, those river bottoms and you have grass that's like this high and it's so loud and walking through that stuff was like one of the biggest things that I was like, man, I really didn't think this through enough because I cannot move through these areas without something knowing that I'm here. And two, I can't see a damn thing. It's like, it's too high. And, um, the area out there on a map looks so small. And you get out there and it's so big. Like you see a, a river going through on the map and then like there's trees on both sides. And you're like, oh, you sit on this tree, you can shoot across the whole thing. You get out there and it's 300 yards wide. And you're like, oh my God. Like my, uh, I got kind of kicked in the face there pretty soon. And the goals that I had, I luckily quickly realized like you're not going to be able to do that. You have to pivot pretty quickly. And the decision-making, like I said, started falling behind and um, I might be jumping the gun here, but I had whatever, I think 10, I might've had 12 cell cameras out there all season and it killed me, dude. It killed me. And I work for a cell camera company. I work for a company that manufactures trail cameras and those trail cameras killed me because as we said, what did I say in North Dakota? What do I have to keep doing? Keep moving, keep moving, keep moving. I relied way too heavily on the areas that I preseason scouted and had cameras on. And I never once, I had two weeks out there, I never once hunted an area that there wasn't already a camera hung. 
and it was the biggest mistake. And you can like look back at it. I told myself I wouldn't do that. I was like, I'm going to keep scouting. But I got out there and I realized like I can't move around that much because of this grass. So I was like, well, what do I do? Well, there's a big deer on this camera. Go hunt that. And the, but he was there two days ago. And he's not back anymore. And I just kept getting in this revolving door where I was chasing after, oh, a buck was here yesterday. Let's go hunt that. A buck was here yesterday. Let's go hunt that. And I just got into that revolving door where literally when I went um, and took the one camera down, I moved to get the next camera. And on that walk, I was like, scrape, 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 sign, 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 fresh rub. As I'm moving to that next stand or next camera, I was stalked 140 inch deer and got within 10 yards of him. Didn't have my bow on me, but that could have been the hunt the whole time. That's what I could have been doing, but I got complacent or I got, I told myself I couldn't do something. And then I was like, okay, well I can't do it. I need to do something else. And then I relied way, way, way too heavily on my whatever postseason and preseason scouting that I never explored new areas. And it just killed me. Now, do you think a lot of that is because of the, the size of the deer that you were kind of seeing on your camera or, you know, maybe the consistency or when they were showing up or, you know, do you think you just got caught up in the hunt itself? Um, a little bit of it all. There was, there were areas that were like, there's a deer, there's a deer on this camera every day that you would shoot. And then there were days where you knew there was a bigger deer somewhere else. And they're like, well, those deer have been on that camera every day. Let's leave them alone, go after the big one. And then you go hunt the big one. The big one doesn't show up. You're like, well, I'll just go back to the other one. Deer were there every day and you go back there and they're not there anymore. So it was a, it, it was something where, and it just like, I think I talked to you guys last year about it. Like my trail camera strategy around home is annual data. And that is it. Like, I don't really think about, what's going on this year. Cause I'm, I'm kind of a couple steps ahead of that. And the like MRI with cell cameras and like, it's like a kind of a hot topic right now where people are talking about how easy it is to kill deer because you have cell cameras. Well, if that was the case, I would have killed like 170 inch deer every day out there. Right. Yeah. That's, that's the one argument I think that I always have because like the people, I think the story that a lot of people always kind of, uh, fall to when they tell that story like it's so easy are the ones where it's like people that say they go hunt in their backyard i've gotten how many bucks on cell cameras this past year and i've i saw maybe three of them in the stand (laughs) you know what i mean like that's it's it's just allowing me to know that they're in the area but it's not telling me like go kill that deer like it allows me to put together game plan but but i get i understand both sides don't get me wrong but i think when people say oh they make it seem so easy this guy sees it and he goes in his backyard like that's always the story it's never drives three hours or hikes up a mountain you know i don't know you never hear that story you always just hear he goes in the field and he goes you know that's all you always hear i don't that's just i guess my two cents on that one but all right keep going iowa because yeah you know you talked about you wounded a deer. What day, you know, like you said, you, you, you were giving yourself like as much time in Iowa to, to, to hunt it. You know, uh, like I, I've said it on a previous podcast a couple of days ago. I hope I could take at least like a 10 day hunt for myself when, when that time does come for me, you know, someone that is kind of fixated on, on a date. Um, you know, does, did any of kind of, like you said, chasing your tail, were you feeling like any t- like time was cl- like ticking on you 
at all? If if it was, when did that, did you hit that wall where like, all right, shit needs to stop now. This is what I have to do. Yeah. So um, I had two weeks planned. I went out the third week of October mm-hmm. and then the second week of November. The third week in October, I was too like, I got time. I got time. I got time. I passed you that I shouldn't have passed up. And I was like, well, I'm going to be back here the second week of November. Like, all hell's going to break loose and it's going to be amazing. (laughs) So I learned a lot that first week about, like, what I think I can do and what I can't do. And um, I realized that first week that I'm never going to do one of those trips solo because I had a bunch of plans to, like, kayak into a certain area and then get to this point. Well, I got on the river and it was real sketchy. So immediately I was like, well, this is unfamiliar water on unfamiliar ground and I'm by myself and who the hell am I going to call like the think bigger picture here. It's a little bit more important than the deer that you can go hunt. So I immediately was like, well, the kayak game's out. So I had that plan. Like I'm going to run these rivers. I'm going to get out. I'm going to rattle. I'm going to be super aggressive. That immediately the first week I was there, I was like, well, I can't do that. So, um, I started, thinking, okay, well, I have a camera here. Let's go check this area out. I have a camera here. Let's go check this area out. And the first day in the tree in Iowa that I hunted, I saw 17 bucks. <sighs> 17. 17 bucks. And the in the morning, I saw like 12. In the evening, I saw five. And it was they, were, they all hit the same scrape. Every single deer hit the same scrape. And I was like, okay, like – you're in Iowa, the deer, it's October 24th and the deer hitting scrapes, like just like they're supposed to. And this is what I wanted to do. So I hunted that area maybe a little bit too many times because like, well, there's 17 bucks there. I passed bucks on that scrape that I probably shouldn't have passed. Cause like, well, in November, these deer are going to use this area. So, um, the first week, yeah, I was like, I got time. I got time. I got time. The second week I get out there, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to go back and hunt that area because it was spot. I had a cam- or it was hot and I had a camera in that area. It was still hot and there was some big deer in there. That was on private that I had access to. And my plan was like, okay, hunt the private in the mornings and hunt the public in the evenings because it was so such unfamiliar ground for me. I didn't want to just go barreling through right, right. in the morning and not really know where I'm going. I don't know where other people are hunting. So for me, it was like, well, just either drive around in the morning or hunt the private in the morning and then go get down mid morning and go hunt the public. So, um, it would have been, I got back out there November 10th. I got back out there the 10th on November 11th. The temperature dropped like 40 degrees. (laughs) It was like, I think 72 for a high and it was like 30 for a low. And then the next day, it was like 30-mile-an-hour winds, but it was like 22 for a high all day. And um, I had planned that next morning to go hunt that scrape that was really hot that I saw 17 bucks on. So it would have been November 11th. And um, get back, go out to my truck and go to open my tailgate. I have a ton of cover on the truck. All my gear is locked or frozen in the bed of my truck. I have my bow. And that's it. So I'm like, well, I'm just going to go sit on the ground in there. Um, I spent like 17 minutes trying to unlock the tailgate of my truck. By the time I got down into where I was hunting, light was cracking. And the buck that I was in there after was on his way into that scrape. And I spooked him. Um, I kind of was like 
thinking he was working off, you know, I saw him and I was like, okay, if he gets out of, out of view, I'll wait 10 or 15 minutes and I'll get down in there and I'll rattle because he's somewhat close. Well, he just bedded down and I rattled and he stood up 50 yards away and he just started blowing because he was like this. There's, I know there's nothing else in here. This is my bedroom. Yeah. So kind of kind of alarmed him. Then of, uh, November 12th, the 13th, I hunted a lot of the public ground. I had some really good hunts, passed some really nice deer. November 14th, I went back to the private. I got a picture of, it was the buck that I had rattled and spooked. I got a picture of him on the 13th walking across the field. On the 14th in the morning, I went back to that area because he was kind of working into this bedding area. Um, thought he would come back out of there. Got up in the tree 10 minutes into legal light. I just, like, blind calling works out there. I bleated and then did some tending grunts behind it. Two minutes later, here he comes behind my tree. And uh, he's, like, a, just a freaking beautiful tank of an eight-point. Um, and I drew back, shot. And I saw, I saw like sparks fly. I hit a limb and then the arrow kind of just like hit off the limb and went into the ass of that deer. And I watched him walk away and it, I got like four inches of penetration. And he looked like, you know, like, uh, it's kind of sad to think about, but you know, like a go-kart that has a flag sticking up. Yeah. Like that's what he looked, that's what he looked like walking across the field. And I was just, Dude, I was devastated. Earlier on in the hunt, like November 12th, I lost my release coming out of the woods. Um, I just had a bunch of things kind of like beat me up. And then I wound the steer. I'm like, oh, my God, dude. Like, what am I doing out here? And Chad told me, like, you can hunt out there. Like, stay out there as long as you want. Like, stay out there until you feel a tag. But I'm also thinking, like, am I really going to stay out here for, like, three weeks? Like, no, I can't. I can't do that. You know, like, you got to. That's when it, I was like, you got to do something. Well, November, you know, it was the 14th. I wounded that buck. November 15th, I called in a dog because I was like, well, I mean, there's a femoral artery back there. Uh, if I got seven or eight inches of penetration where I hit, I'm into his guts and um, called the dog in. He tracked the deer for like, I don't know, 12, 1300, 1400 yards. We got into some neighboring property and he was like, the way my dog's acting like this, this isn't a dead deer. So I was pretty bummed out, but th that dog tracker got there 30, no, uh, 28 hours after the hit. Right. So, um, that morning, the next morning I, I shot that deer in the morning, the next, that evening I didn't hunt the next morning. I went back to the tree stand that I shot him out of because I was thinking maybe he's still working that bedding area or something. He doesn't know what's going on. I had the most incredible hunt of my life that morning, and I couldn't pull my bow back. I had like a 150-something-inch deer chasing off two satellite bucks. I watched that buck pin a doe against the fence line and would not let her move for an hour and a half. She would try to walk, and he would like – they were playing – tag it was the coolest experience of my life he's like grunting and snort wheezing and they're 30 yards away from me and i can't i can't do anything about it because i have an arrow in a deer I'm not sure if he's dead or not that's the um 
that's the evening that I went and pulled those cameras because like I got to start switching things around. I got to move around. I stalked that 140 inch deer, got within 20 yards of him. Don't have my bow because I have an arrow in a deer. And then um, the dog tracker comes out, tells me that it's a non-fatal shot. I'm like, okay, well, I I still got to hunt, right? Like I'm still out here. And you're, I mean, you're forced with the decision there. You're like, right. do you do you keep going? Um, you obviously are like, man, you owe it to that animal at least to keep going after him. So after that, I kind of abandoned the public ground and and stuck to the private. Um, November, yes, of the 15th at the dog tracker was scheduled to get there at two o'clock at one fifty six on that scrape. That was really active. 170 inch deer hits the scrape. And I'm like, this is the most incredible day in the woods ever. And I can't hunt it. So the dog tracker does this thing, gets back. We're standing in the driveway of the private land that I'm hunting, and I'm actually staying at that guy's house as well. And he's like, well, Cam, you know, you probably should go back out and hunt. It's obviously really hot here right now. So I walk down into the basement to get my jacket. And do you know Scott Buckley? The name sounds familiar. We've done a bunch of content with him. And if you knew him, like he's so animated and he's like so excited. And like we, I was driving around with him in the summer and we were glassing deer and there's like a, I don't know, 130 or something inch deer like out in the field in Iowa. You see those everywhere. And, but he pulls over, slams on the brakes. He's like, Cam, does that get you fucking pumped up or what? <laughs> like he's just like, he is so ate up with white tails. It's the most amazing thing. So anyway, I hear him running through the house into the basement cam there's a fucking giant out in the field you gotta go you gotta go right now (laughs) i'm like oh my god so i throw my jacket on you know he has me all fired up i'm belly crawling through the driveway to try to get out to where these deer are and they're out in this field and um by the time i get to the field edge they work into the woods and i just went up and hopped in a tree in the wood line there and 10 minutes before dark, here comes that buck. You know, I grunt and I heard the most mature buck sound of my life. Oh my. Dude, it was like the deepest grunt ever. Like I thought I've heard, I thought I used to know like the difference between a a deep grunt and not deep grunt. And then this thing happened. I'm like, oh my (laughs) God. Dude, I'm I'm in like ten feet off the ground, and I'm I see this deer coming. I'm like, oh my god, dude! Like Boone and Crockett deer, Boone and Crockett like six by five giant whitetail, and he's he skirts me at like fifty yards. So the next day would have been November sixteenth. I hunted that tree all day. I was like, that deer's in here somewhere. Never showed. Um, November seventeenth, dude. I'm. I'm beat, man. Yeah. I'm beat. Yep. Like after, after all this, I'm like, I, I'm like, I got to take a morning off. I have to. So I wake up, whatever. I wake up early still. And Scott doesn't know I'm taking the morning off. I didn't tell him I was ashamed. I was like, I'm not, I was like, I'm not telling anyone, but I'm beat. And I need to, I need to refresh. I have some work to do. I have some edits to get done. He thinks I go back into that tree again. Well, he leaves for work and he texts me. He's like, Hey, stay where you're at. There's a giant locked down on a doe in the field out here. They're going to come into that bedding area. I'm like, oh, my God. I'm on the couch in my underwear right now. <laughs> so I'm like, like, what? And at this point, I'm like, what do you do, you know? So I was like, well, I'm just going to get my truck and look at them. 
Like, that's better than nothing, you know? I'm just going to see. I'm just going to go look at them. So I got in the truck, and I'm wearing just sweatpants and a hoodie, and I throw a vest on, and uh, I drive out there. I'm like, oh, my God, like, he's big. Like, probably a 145-inch eight-pointer with, like, 10-inch brow tines. Like, just a beautiful buck. And he's locked down on this doe that's in a corn field, corn stubble field, that's right on the edge of this bedding area that I can hunt. The corn field, I can't. The bedding area, I can. I know that's where they're going to come. I'm just sitting there, like, in awe, like, thinking, like, well, that's nice, you know. He's out there in that field. What can I do with him out there? While I'm thinking that, a school bus drives down the road. And when that school bus comes hauling down the road, the doe runs across the street and the buck runs into the bedding area that I can hunt. I'm like, they're split up now. Like, shoot, I got to go get in the woods. My bow's in the back here. It's nine degrees. I'm wearing sweatpants, a hoodie, and a vest. I'm like, well, I'm going to go see if I can sit in this tree for an hour. Just give it an hour, and if I if I make it, I'm good. If not, I'll go down, I'll get dressed, and I'll come back. As soon as I get in that tree, I just see legs coming from that field up into the woods. I'm like, oh, like there's deer coming. I count 12 does. I'm like, oh, my God. Like I didn't see all those deer. So they come up into the bedding area. They work up in, do exactly what they're supposed to do. And then I see more deer and dude, I'm not kidding. There had to be 30 whitetails. There were, it was like super cold, like really cold. And it was like, they all herded back up. It's November 17th at this point. And I'm glassing down in there and I see that buck and he's coming. I'm like, Oh yeah. You know? So I grunt deer out there were so receptive to calling. Like every time I rattled a buck came in, it was insane. And I, I, Dude, it was in, it was insane. They say like, oh, like you can rattle. I did. I rattled <laughs> like so many bucks in it. It was so much fun. But anyway, so I just grunted and I see this buck just come hauling ass to me, and I'm like, oh, that's him, you know. And I get my bow and it's a four point. I'm like, okay, <laughs> calm down, <laughs> calm down. <laughs> so that that four point comes and it goes up into that bedding area and he nudges those does out because they were bedded down like forty yards away. He nudges them up, and I'm like, okay, well, I have this buck nudging these does around. I have, I know that the, the big buck's down at the bottom, grunt again, and I just see this tree just getting shredded. And I'm like, he's fired up. Like, he's coming, you know? And then uh, he shreds that tree. And then, you know how, like, when a buck walks through high stem count area, he's doing the head wobble thing, and his antlers are getting caught on stuff, and you can hear him busting through. Well, I heard that. I saw the buck, heavy rack, like that's him, draw back 25 yards, perfectly broadside, center punch, heart shot. He runs off and dies 20 yards away. I look behind him, and that big one's coming. And I was like, what deer did I just shoot? (laughs) (laughs) So I have no idea what buck I just shot, but, dude, I was so so shook up because it was the experience that I wanted, man. It was like, I called a deer in. There was a bunch of activity. I was in the mess. I was in it and I was so shook up and I went back down, found the deer and it was the first buck that I passed on day one. No way. It was him. Yeah. The, The first buck I saw in Iowa and it was him. And I mean, he was a 120 inch, maybe, maybe 115 inch 10 point. And I was so jacked yeah, up. Dude. Yeah. I didn't even, 
I didn't care. And it was November 17th. I grinded for so long. I had so many, like, looking back on it now, it doesn't seem like I had anything bad happen to me. But in the moment, I'm like, oh, my oh, God, I yeah. screwed this up. I screwed yep. this up. I screwed this up. I wounded this buck. I missed three coyotes. I lost my release. I locked my sticks in the climbing tree. That eight point that I wounded, I screwed. I screwed him up rattling, right? And then the next morning, I bumped him off a bed with four deer. And, and dude, I was telling you how I wanted to have this experience where I glass something up. I bed him down. I spot and stalk. Well, I walk through this field. I'm glassing over this cornfield that was just cut, and they're going to come up into this bedding area. And I have all this stuff out in front of me. I never once looked behind me. I turned around and started walking through the field, and that buck was bedded 60 yards behind me with four does. My I'm like, oh my God. So I just kept screwing up so many things. And then I knew in my head, like Cameron, you've got to keep moving around. You're, you're stuck. You're stuck. You're stuck. I had no one with me to tell me like, Hey, get your head out of your ass. And what's everyone tell you? Scout, scout, scout. When you go on podcasts, you talk about, what do you talk about? Scout, scout, scout. And I quit doing it because like, it's the rut. It's Iowa. Like I'm in a pinch point and bucks are just going to come through. It doesn't happen like that. You got to keep moving. So after all of that, to fill the tag on like the 16th day that I was out there. Like it was just, it was an unreal feeling. Persevered like cold weather and you shot the deer in your underwear, man. Heck yeah. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> just shows you don't need the old fancy uh, first light, sicko, whatever you're, you, you would want to wear, man. That's, like Dimitri, what do you got from that? Because I'm I'm still just like wrapping my brain around just that whole experience. Well, and I think the the hard thing is 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 you know you you're going to Iowa, so the expectations are just through the roof. You're you're getting right. all these bucks on trail cameras, and you know, so the excitement is way up here. I mean, through the roof, even you know, not even at the ceiling. You're through the roof, and you know, and I. I just think of the very limited out-of-state trips I've had, how excitement and, you know, everything's there. And I couldn't even imagine going to Iowa and, and having those trail camera pictures and then getting there. And especially after that first week, things not going your way, right? So we always talk about that roller coaster effect. But, I mean, you were probably, you know, your slopes were much steeper than most people probably, right? You know, and, and having those encounters and then getting worn down and, and trying to find that motivation right you're in Iowa you're at a tag that you've waited so long but then you know you almost had to refuel so you were kind of at the, the floor right you're in the basement and then and you know had to really dig for that motivation and that would be tough for anybody to to go through yeah it was it was something that um I definitely had to like push myself through because like I said I, I didn't have anyone there to do it for me it's easy to text your friend and tell him like oh you're frustrated and then be like dude you're in Iowa like get over yourself yeah. and just keep, like keep hunting but when you're not having those experiences and you don't have anyone out there having those experiences with you and you don't have anyone to explain like what you're going through it's hard to get out of your own head so that is like lesson number one that I took away from that trip because all of my other out-of-state trips have been with a friend yeah. And they've all been really successful. I'll never do it alone again. Um, number two, I'm always going to postseason scout, but I'm not going to put so much. Like if I know, like next year, I'm going to plan on hunting Kansas as well. I'm going to go out in the spring and I'm going to turkey hunt and I'm going to hang cameras. But I now have the experience to know, like, that's not the end all be all. That's a good starting point, but keep your ass moving. Yeah. And um, there's, 
dude, I, there was just so many. The best thing about that trip is how much I learned. Like I filled the tag. It was wonderful. It was, that was wonderful. But how much I learned going into like one, the next time I hunt that area. Um, one thing I wanted to, to point out on this trip is I had a lot of flex flexibility with my schedule to when I could go out there. I left the first week early because the weather warmed up. I was supposed to be out there until Halloween. I left on October 28th. Halloween, I had the biggest deer that I ever that I ever had on camera in my life. Uh, Halloween, it was 78 degrees. And he still showed. And yeah, dude, November or October 30th through November 5th was, if you look back historically on weather, it was 75, 80 degrees every day. I had 150 inch deer every single one of those days on camera. And I went home because I was like, well, it's going to be too hot. And like, try to do that in PA. If the weather's that hot, like, you're not going to have a good hunt. But like, you're in Iowa. Like, you're hunting non pressured deer and you're on a river bottom where it's a little bit cooler. So if I could go back, I would have stayed. Yeah. Obviously, hindsight's 2020. Um, the later it got into November, it never slowed down. It it just never did. There's so many Shit. deer, and that's that's the thing with, like, what I kept. I never really ended up telling myself this, but like, if you screw up one, like it is okay. Yeah. Because there are more. And that's what I kept was like, well, I can't walk through that high grass because I'm going to bump that buck. But what would you have found if you walked through the high grass? You know, there's just so many things. I had so many plans. And then, dude, I go pull the one camera and um, I go, it was along a river. And my whole plan was like, I'm going to come through the river on my kayak. I'm going to get up in a tree here. I have a west wind. Um, it was so, so perfect. But then my first week I got on the river and it was like, well, I can't do this. That part of the ri- that section of the river was way bigger, way more water. And I could have just easily just scooted my little ass in that kayak and hopped up in there and killed a giant. But I, I just got too caught up in my own head where like, you can't do this. Yeah. And then I took that for what it was. Now, do you, do you feel like with trail camera strategy, if, if, maybe you should have not used cell cameras and maybe just went with regular cameras. Then that way, when you got in there, you kind of then could kind of scout more and, and see and gain Intel that way. And then maybe you wouldn't have been caught up on the area of how those deer were moving so much. And then you could have found that fresh sign and kind of moved a little bit more. Um, I would say maybe, but I think if I would have had standard cameras, I would have been like, I had so many cameras out there. I would have been like, okay, which one do I go to? Or which one do I go check? Or how do I get to this one? So I think having cell cameras in those situations that do give you um, MRI is really beneficial. I just hunted it the wrong way. I hunted it as in like that tree is hot rather than this area is hot. So I had those pictures of those bucks on a certain scrape well that's good that's good you know like they're hitting that scrape but go go see where they're coming from or go find the next scrape go find the next scrape closer to cover because the scrapes that i found were scrapes that i found in march so what am i not seeing that was made yesterday yeah so that was the big difference where 
the scrape was still being hit. I found a good primary scraping area and there was deer there, but I was always one step behind. I posted a video of um, what I had on camera out there. The kid messages me and it's like, hey, um, it felt a little weird seeing my stomping grounds posted all over YouTube, but um, that buck that you were after November 10th or 11th, I had an encounter with him November 3rd. And I was like, oh, really? Where were you at? He was 50 yards away from where I was at. So it's like, I didn't have that deer on camera until November 10th. I didn't even know about the deer. He had an encounter with him November 3rd, 50 yards away from where I had him on camera. So if I would have just moved around more and scouted like everyone tells you to do, I probably would have had a much different experience. So let's fast forward next year. You, you pull Kansas. What, what's, what are you telling yourself? Cover ground, man. Cover ground. <laughs> yep. Hunt, 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 or scout, 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 hunt. And it, you do it in North Dakota. Like, why couldn't you do it there? And it's because it's Iowa. Yeah. It's like I had these expectations and like I tried to move there, dude. Like I was so excited to hunt out there that I was like, I need to be in a tree hunting. And I, I just, I got in my own head. I got in my own way. Yeah. Biggest, biggest, biggest takeaway would be then like for me is don't get in your head <laughs> when you go out there, man. What it's experience. easier said than done, but. It, it, dude, it's even, but you, we do that even here. You, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like you do that no matter where you're going. And it's so, it's so easy for us to be sitting in our nice warm houses, you know, wherever we are. To sit there and say, yeah, don't get in your head, man. But then when those you, you fall to, the, like you're like we do what deer do. They try they travel in that least resistance path. Like we do that as well. It's you know we might hike two miles, but man, when we get up there and we, you know, I don't know. It's we gotta you, you just you just have to do it. And like the people that are very successful are the ones that are outside that box and and are and that's why too it is so it's so minimal. You know what I mean? That's why yep. there are only so little amount of people that are, that we know of, you know, how many people that we don't know of that are out there frigging hammering down. But, um, yeah, cause that's, even, that's, go ahead. Even think of the day that I was successful. Yeah. Uh, I, in that, that morning, what was I doing? I was covering ground. Mm-hmm. I went, I got in my truck and drove around and I, I knew that deer was there cause I had Intel, but I drove around, saw the deer and was go. Okay. So I was being, I was covering ground, finding the deer, get the visual. Like you have to know that a deer is in the area. Yeah. That's like, you can't hunt what's not there. Exactly. I was just about to say, you can't hunt with what you don't know is not there. Right. So man, hell, hell of stories. Um, you know, can, before we wrap up, cause those, those went deep, dude. I, and I, and I absolutely love it. You guys will be at the great American outdoor show here in a couple weeks. Uh, you just recently just released the rival camera, uh, this past year, you guys had a ton of great success with the MMT arrows and everything. You know, what, um, what will be at the great American outdoor show since this will air right before, you know, this will air next week. So we're only what two weeks away from that. Basically when this airs, you know, what could Pennsylvania, uh, New Yorkers, Ohio, Maryland, New Jersey, all the individuals that come to, that show from all over, what could they expect from your booth? Well, yeah, we, we're going to have a really exciting show this year. Like you said, we just dropped a new cell camera, uh, the Exodus Rival. If you're at all familiar with the Exodus brand, um, it's always been a little bit of a higher price point. Um, we always went for, like, quality was what matters. The cell camera market has changed dramatically, and if we didn't adapt, we were going to get 
crushed. So we um, released a camera that is more budget friendly. I don't want to say it's a budget cell camera because it is $180, but it is still covered by the Exodus warranty that you would expect. So $180 cell camera with a five-year warranty is absolutely bananas. Look at all the competitors at that price range. It's one year, maybe two-year warranty. So if you break it down on a per-year basis, if you have a camera that you have to replace every year and you pay 120 bucks for it, the arrival's a $36 cell camera. $36 a year is what you're going to get out of that. So um, it's a simplistic camera. It's designed to be able to be used from your phone. There's really no controls on the camera itself. There's just an on and an offline button. So you flip the camera on and the, some lights blank, tell you it's connected, and then you do everything else from your phone. It's designed to be used as a cell, cell camera. Um, super small profile so a little bit more public, publicly and friendly. So that camera is something that we've been working on, and that's a really, really exciting launch. We're excited for that. Um, and then you alluded to it. We released an AeroLine last year, and that was another really new thing for us at Exodus, and it almost seemed like, what the hell? Like Exodus comes out with arrows, you know, but it was, a, it was a market that we saw there was a lack of education in. So um, we are kind of that's what we base how we get into a marketplace is is there enough education on the process on the product and for arrows there wasn't so we are releasing a new arrow um it's going to be a micro diameter shaft 204 diameter shaft that's going to come in march but if you want to know about all the technology and the science and stuff that we're putting into those arrows because it's not your traditional arrow shaft we will have the exodus mmt standard diameter shaft at the show and i will personally be building them there so if people Sweet. want them i will build them there for you tailored specifically to you and your bow hunting setup so um we have the science behind it. You tell us what you're shooting and we'll build what's going to perform the best for you. Awesome. Hell yeah, man. That's well, do me a favor. Save, save a rival for me. <laughs> oh yeah, dude. Um, we'll have them. At, we'll have them at that's, the show. I so. know. That's what I mean. So save one. <laughs> Cause I know a couple of years ago when, when you guys had the renders and everything, they were like out. <laughs> so, you know, dude, we sold out Wednesday. Yep. We, we way undershot demand and we're going to be limited out there too. So if you do, if people do want them, like, um, we had a pre-sale and they were uh, discounted for the pre-sale, like 17% off during our live event. And that code was for the first 300 cameras. The live event wasn't even, oh, we weren't even done recording it and those 300 cameras were gone. <laughs> so um, at, at the show, we, we are going to be limited. So if you do want them, make sure, uh, make sure you come to the booth early. The one thing that I really wanted you to have to come on tonight was to really dive into what you did. Talk about that expectation versus reality. You mentioned Kansas is going to hopefully happen next year. When we get into the spring and we're getting into that nitty gritty of scouting and, you know, maybe doing certain techniques because, you know, you talked a lot about about scrapes, hunting scrapes and everything like that. We could dive more into that. So, man, I really hope, you know, you enjoyed yourself because I know Demetri and I would love to dive into even that type of strategy topic stuff in the spring again, summer, whatever it be. I really wanted that whole, dude, you had the... The North Dakota, your biggest buck to date. You had that Iowa hunt that I know you were so looking forward to. And I don't know, like for, for me, kind of 
couple people were asking me like, what was your expectation this year versus like your reality? I'm like, man, Cam would rock that. And I, I'm going to be honest. I know you were on like two other uh, podcasts within the last like month. And I purposefully did not listen because I didn't want to try to hit it. So if I vomited something that was similar, like I apologize, but my goal was to not listen. So then that way I kept it fresh for, from, from our standpoint. So, um, Hopefully, hopefully the individuals that you li- that listen to this, it is something different um, than than what Cam did before. But if not, you know, thank you again for for checking checking us out. But Cam, I appreciate you, man. I I think highly of you as an individual, as as a hunter, and and what you're doing and what you guys do over there at Exodus Outdoor Gear. So I appreciate it, man. So great American Outdoor Show. Those of you that are listening, please go stop and see those guys, some of the most down-to-earth guys there there is in in the quote-unquote industry, as people like to say. So, um, you know, where where else could people find you, Cam, on, on a personal level? Yeah, uh, at, at the booth, at Great American Outdoor Show, it's going to be booth 927 if you guys are interested. Big place, so archery um, hall. booth 927 in the archery hall. Okay. Yep. Uh, personally, uh, Cam the Cameraman on Instagram, uh, that's – where most of the hunting stuff happens. Um, I do host a podcast myself, the deer gear podcast. Yep. And then Exodus, as you know, is ramping up content daily. So we have the deer gear podcast, the Exodus podcast, the land podcast, the YouTube channel, um, and everywhere that you can find content. So I'm sure, um, if you're anywhere, those places are, I'm sure you can find us out. Awesome, man. Thanks again, everybody, for listening. Check Cam out. Check out what Exodus Outdoor Gear has in store. We'll see you next week. Antler up.